Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 52, Act 1, Michelle Manzanales, Shattering the Box, recorded April 29th, 2022. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head over to teachingirishry.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merchandise, and more. Women's health care and reproductive rights for all women are being threatened. It is very possible that the U.S. Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade, which has been federal law in place for nearly 50 years, ultimately leaving it up to each state to enact laws to protect or diminish women's reproductive rights, including abortion. And the ban's off my body call to action is real. Rallies took place all over the country this past weekend and Fighting for these rights will continue to be a strong focus. Frankly, they've been a very strong focus, but this, I think, the leaked documents um, just uh, sort of put a specific spotlight on how how important fighting for this is. I, I don't want to assume what people believe, what you believe. However, if this comes to pass, this will only be the beginning and we've said that we can't go back. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I, I am on the Twitter and I'm on all the places and Instagram. And there's many different um, ways to look at this. But um, what I try to do is, uh, is to siphon through all of that. And I think about Jane Elliott, who's an activism, uh, sorry, an anti-racism activist and has been for a very, very long time. She's very vocal, very loud, very smart. Um, and she's highlighted for many years that the rhetoric around controlling and legislating women's bodies 
is interconnected with racist theories. Um, so the idea here, and, and you, you likely, if you've read that statement, uh, you could probably read through the lines between the lines that if more white women, mostly of lower income and single white women are forced to have babies to supply quote unquote, then the quote unquote right white race won't be quote unquote replaced with babies of color and continue to shift the makeup of America's population. Hmm? What is that? The root of this dangerous misogyny is racism. I, I mean, yeah. Let's just risk all women's lives of all identities to support white patriarchal supremacy, which is the dominant culture slash the power where the power lies right now right now so okay uh so this 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 makes me think back to when i was in college i was a freshman it was spring semester i took up a public speaking class so i was still 18 i believe and you know i just voted for the first time and um the world was starting to open up for me my world was starting to open up and um, for my persuasion speech, my topic was on the ability to have opposing views, discuss opposing views without resorting to violence. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. And um, I used um, pro-life uh, protests that was taking place at abortion clinics um, as the example and and very specifically i was i was like zooming in on the nuance of like um the spree of shootings shooting doctors who worked at these sites um you know for doing their job basically and i i could not understand then how or why a person who claimed to be pro-life could decide that taking one's life who's doing their job could be justified. I, I literally still can't, um, but I might've been naive then. And, you know, over the years, especially on this podcast, I've talked about feminarchy. It's in my posts all the time as a hashtag, but what that means for me and how I've been sort of trying to think about, you know, caretaking for my spheres of influence is that it's about pushing uh, back against the white patriarchal heteronormative society to be a more inclusive, more caring, more collectively embracing society. I wish for the America I thought we were when I was young. I still believe that we could potentially be that America and that's worth fighting for, nonviolently, of course, but it is worth fighting for. <sighs> All right, we're going to move forward from here. <sighs> Michelle, Michelle Manzanales is our guest. And what a pleasure it was to meet Michelle. Michelle is the director of New York City's Ballet Hispanico School of Dance. 
She has a lovely energy. She's wildly smart. And uh, I'll admit that it was the first time, like opening up the Zoom room to have this conversation was the first time we met. And during our conversation, it felt like we were old friends. It was really sweet, actually. I loved stuff like that. It was warm. It was um, open. It was, um, yeah, it was really lovely. And in this first act, we learn about um, ballet. We discuss, actually, Ballet Hispanico's mission, programs, and Michelle's role. And we learn more about our upbringing and early career as a dancer and choreographer. Here is episode 52, act one, Michelle Manzanales, Shattering the Box. Hello, Michelle. Hi, how are you? <laughs> uh, good. Welcome to Teaching Irishy podcast. Um, yeah, this is a podcast that celebrates artists, culture, and equity. And we've had a little tete-a-tete prior to recording, and I'm excited to to learn more about your work. You're working as a dancer, a choreographer, um, and, and more, all sorts of more and see our, 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 the connective threads that we have. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Courtney. Uh, looking forward to, to talking more. Excellent. Um, so I'm going to start with, uh, this question about, um, how you identify as an artist. How I identify as an artist. Um, well, I think of myself as a choreographer um, and a dance educator. Um, many moons ago, I was a, a professional dancer. Um, and um, But yeah, prim- now I'm primarily focused on my choreography and my teaching and my arts administration. Got it. And I, I didn't ask this uh, immediately, but now I'm gonna. Uh, how are you doing? It's a Friday evening after a long work week. <laughs> How are you doing? How are your loved ones doing? Thank you for I no, I appreciate that. It's um, you know, it's that coming out of the still feeling like you're in a pandemic kind of weirdness. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about that earlier, you and I, before we started um, recording. But I'm I feel really lucky that uh, my loved ones are doing well. Uh, most of them are home in Houston, Texas, and um, I get to get to chat with them often on the phone and everybody's doing well and um, things have been going well for me too with uh, all the all the work at Valley Hispanico and different projects that I'm doing. So I feel really lucky in that way. How about you? How's it going for you, Courtney? Oh, yeah, for me, I, I feel the same. I am I am um, generally over overall very well. Um, anxieties can get high. Um, sometimes I have some lows, which is no fun. Um, I feel a little, um, distanced, uh, not to, that's not a pun, honestly, but a little bit distanced from the, the, the knowledge base that I normally have around like COVID cases. And, you know, I just feel a little like uninformed at the moment because I've been focused on so many other things. So I feel like I need to take a maybe a step back into that just because I know how to manage myself doesn't mean I, I shouldn't know those pieces of information. So I feel a little anxiety around that. Um, and we're, yeah, we're doing this like transition moment in our company of, um, rearranging our office spaces and in readying them to be more utilized, uh, over time. And, 
trying to figure out what that schedule can look like in a way that is manageable, um, effective and, you know, that whole commuting thing. So I've gone into the office twice a week for the last two weeks and it's like, Ooh, Ooh, those muscles, those commuting muscles. What's that? (laughs) Yes, definitely. I mean, yeah, go, Oh no, go ahead. All I was going to say is I know that there are many people who, like, I have a friend who was like, you know, that whole remote thing, like he works in a hospital. So he was like, that was never my life. You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm just working. I'm so busy. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel that. I mean, that you know, obviously at the height of the pandemic, I wasn't going into the office when nobody was going into the office. But as soon as we could start programming in person, we did. And so um, the school team at Valley Spanico has, has been in there, you know, trying to make things happen. And so, but yeah, still this commuting, it, it's, it's, it's interesting post the height of the pandemic. It's definitely a shift. It's definitely a change and still trying to figure out <laughs> exactly what that is. Yeah. I think, you know, I like that. I appreciate what you just said at the height of the pandemic, because we are not over the pandemic. It's not post, but we're not necessarily at that height. I really appreciate that uh, distinction um, and clarity. And yeah, I think that that's, that's been also an, a moment of, of we've also had um, integrated more in-person programming, but it's been external and there's not necessarily a need for our staff people to be in the offices. And that's a revelation. Um, however, it is nice to be in the office is what I'm discovering. <laughs> and it's nice to be away from the homestead and the home office to do some work. And I really appreciate the on uh, the quote unquote offsite on-site work, meaning going to a school or, or going to some site or meeting people to do work in a different place that would be than the office, but still being in a work-related setting. Does that make sense? So like today I had a walk and talk with my colleague and we were, we usually are on, you know, a Google meet and we're just choosing our own places in our neighborhoods to have this conversation and planning and such. And we were like, Hey, why don't we meet somewhere and do it together? And it was very productive, but it was also like outdoors and, you know, brain expanding, all those things that they talk about when you pedo, pedo planning. Somebody said pedo to me. And I was like, I don't understand what you're saying, but I think it's the walking, uh, you know, origins or uh, origin. What do you call it? Word origins. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like I just went on a tangent, but my point is is that I I feel like each organization (laughs) and frankly, each team is sort of figuring out what, uh, what can work for us to be able to do the work that needs to be done, but in a way that is manageable and realistic. And are you finding that too? Cause I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, I, I, um, when you were talking, I was just like nodding my head because I know for sure it's happening at Valley Hispanico and I imagine it's happening everywhere. It's like when the pandemic hit and in the, in the height of it, when nobody was at work and it was like, how will we work? And the thought of doing work remotely was like completely foreign, completely like unthinkable. And then suddenly we were all working remotely, making things happen. Um, And so now that things are, um, you know, there's in person and there's things that are still happening remotely. It's figuring out, okay, what are the, what did we learn? What do we keep, what do we, 
how does it look now? What are the possibilities? Because there's even more possibilities now. Um, so, and like you were saying, like, so that we can do our best work and it's, it looks different. And so it's like figuring, like after something was so steady for, in our case, 50 years, um, it's like, oh, wait, there's these other possibilities and they're, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's an, it's a reimagining time and trying to, my, my Libra senses are like balancing like the good and bad of both. And how do you stay connected um, with your colleagues and with the work that's happening with the students in the building, or even like you were saying offsite and our um, engagements that are happening outside. Uh, what is that? How, how, you know, cause we did connect when we were remote, but then there's also that something really special of being in person. And then how do you use both? And then, uh, and how does that actually, how does that create possibilities for innovation for, yeah, like you said, a reimagining and, um, for a different kind of energy and synergy, which that's, that's the part that's been really like, I, I could go down into a very granular place. That's not, that's not useful right now, but, but I, yeah, today, the way that my day to day panned out and where I did my work, I worked in three different places today, technically four, if you count the subway and all of it felt, meant that I could still be produ as productive as I am sitting right here or sitting at some desk in, in the office. And I got a lot of work done. I got, I made connections, like all sorts of things happen. And I also got something out of my brain that had been stuck there. So I feel like there's, there's something, something there that I'm excited about. Um, you have said ballet Hispanico many times and I appreciate it because I haven't asked you or even named where you work. So let's, let's shift towards that. Let's tell, like, I'd love to learn more for the audience to learn more. Um, okay. So describe please your role or roles, um, at, uh, your organization. What is the organization? What's its mission? And if there are any other things that you want to share about what's, what makes ballet Hispanico special? Of course. Well, I've been at Valley Hispanico for 12 years. Um, when I first came into the organization, I was um, the rehearsal director for the um, professional company. So Valley Hispanico has been around 52 years, started in 1970. The founder, Tina Ramirez, um, an amazing Latina woman, Puerto Rican woman. Um, she had a group, she was a teacher at heart. She's, she's an educator, you know, she's also a performer obviously, but she's an educator, but she had this, um, proficient group of, uh, young dancers and she wanted to give them a place, a, a way to perform, to do this for a living, to go out. And, um, so, I mean, I'm sim oversimplifying for sure, but basically, um, because of her and because of this vision and dreams that she had for her students, um, Valley Hispanica was born. So it's a it's a professional performing company, but it's also a school, which is um, I'm now the school director. I've been the school director for about five years, a little over five years. Um, and then we also um, have community arts partnerships. We do different programming, um, you know, with uh, New York City schools public schools, it could be at community centers, really anywhere there's community. We were trying to find ways to engage with the community and um, it could be on tour all over the world. So um, it's, a, it's a fun organization to work at and I've really enjoyed being there not only as um, 
the com- the company rehearsal director and and uh, school director, but also as a choreographer, uh, get to kind of wear multiple hats and do a lot of fun things. I'm even you know this 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 year I get to to work with the our pre professional students. My level, my level five, my level five modern students, and I just love them. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a great uh, place to be. Wonderful, and we we discovered that we have have crossed paths before, right? We- yes, we did. We did. Um, before I came to Valley Hispanico, I was a, a dancer for Luna Negra Dance Theater, which actually the artistic director and CEO Eduardo Valaro of Ballet Hispanico, he, um, he founded Luna Negra Dance Theater in Chicago um, in the late 90s. And after being a professional dancer with Ballet Hispanico, he left his performing career and went to Chicago to, and, and pursued his master's and then got uh, founded that company. But yeah, we my very first, I was the rehearsal director at the time, but my very first uh, kind of tour to New York City was at the New Victory, and I love the New Victory. Um, so many great memories and so much, so much great programming happening over there as well um, in education. I definitely uh, keep my eyes on what's going on over there. So yeah, we we crossed paths. We didn't know each other then, but we, we definitely crossed paths. I just I love stuff like that where you discover like oh we were in the same thing and then and now we're now we're like doing something together yeah I I love that kind of revelation moment um, and I was saying you know, we're we're in this transition moment we had to pack up one office to move into another and I I'm positive that I saw the Luna Negra either the school tool or the like the the what do you call it the new Vic bill recently and was like oh that was a good show <laughs> oh yeah I was like oh yeah I really like that um but that was before I understood that we were gonna have this connection so <laughs> yeah it was um it was a cool moment too because I uh, one of the first I mean, pieces I made for like a professional company for Luna Negra which called Sugar in the Raw and it was on that program and so it's like it's like the the new victory holds a really special place for me <laughs> because that. of that. Like it was such a big opportunity for me um, to present my choreography there. Yeah. I I mean, listen, I was having this thought the other day about how special the new victory is <laughs> and how I, I don't know what, where I was. I might've been walking past it or something. I don't know. But I had this moment being like, you grew up here. This is like your pl- oh and and then we had this <laughs> we had this um you know I you know the Aces Fair you know that that arts fair for the DOE school so there every year or every I think maybe twice a year there's a there's a something that's organized by the Department of Education's Office of Arts that is about you know as many culturals as possible show, showcasing what kind of work they do for you know, the arts education liaisons or principals or assistant principals so that they could start booking, you know, and making some arts partners in their schools. And this year, the, the, um, again, I'm getting into too much detail, but basically like the format of this fair is, is a pre-recording. And so we had to like do a presentation and a pre-record. It's a very smart idea because they've been live and they go longer than you're, you know, it's all, it's all a mess. So now it's like, keep it on time it can be no more than you know five minutes blah blah blah. so you had to put that presentation we're recording it and i'm the speaker and um we were trying to we were informed like try and show something special about you 
I said something off the cuff and someone, uh, my colleague was like, you should put that in the script. And I was like, Oh really? And then, I, and then when I said it and I had to, you know, record it a couple of times, I really was like, I mean this. Oh my God, I really mean this. And I, I, I basically was like, I really wish that the new victory existed when I was a kid. I would have loved it as a kid. I love it now, but man, like who knows what, where I would have been <laughs> if it existed. I mean, you know, but it really was like, this place is something. I appreciate you saying that though, because I think, I mean, even though Ballet Hispanico did exist when I was a kid, I didn't know about it. Mm. And I feel like that happens a lot. There's like these amazing organizations, um, you know, that are oasises for children and for learning and for expression and just like um, using the arts like to support support kids support students support people not even kids like anyone um and yeah i i I didn't make a connection with an organization like this until i was you know in my 30s like in my late 20s 30s so whenever i see students um getting to be a part of different programming or whatever and i'm like i kind of i think that same thing too i'm like what would what would have happened if I had found a different, you know, found these things, found Ballet Hispanico earlier in my life or, you know, what would have changed? What would, what would have been different? But yeah, I I get that. I mean, I connect with you on that so much. Yeah. I, it it makes me, (laughs) I like want to go down this path, but I'm also like, but the thing is, is that we, we are the reason or part of the reason why young people are, are discovering themselves and different art forms and different ways of expression, expressing themselves, expressing themselves. And, um, like what, what a privilege to have that job. Oh, absolutely. But let's talk. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go, please, please. No, 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 no. You, you go, you are the guest. (laughs) Um, no, I feel like we could talk for hours, but I, I, um, yeah, I do. I think that's why I love education so much is because um, it's fun. It's just fun to create programming, to witness, like to, to be it, to be there, to be in it with the the kids. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's hard to describe. It's something like, it's like a glimmer in an eye or like, like a change in a posture or an exhale that you get to witness when you, when you're part of this type of organ, you know, these types of organizations, that's really hard to describe, like on a, you know, in words, <laughs> clearly, I'm not doing well with the yeah, word. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Like, um, we used to, we used to use this phrase bright eyes, which was describing that, you know, there's something shifts, there's just a brighter, uh, there's a brightness in the, in a kid's eyes when something clicks, or they, you know, get positive feedback about a choice an artistic choice or they made a bold choice or whatever whatever you know but there's something that does shift inside of all of us right like that's that's why I go to see theater all the time that's why I do this podcast like it's it's something that feeds us and changes us constantly um and what I was gonna say was I I would love to like we're gonna get back to like your work but I would love to know more about where you grew up and how you engaged in arts, um, as a kid. And, um, you know, like I, I love 
what we were just talking about, but I would love for us to be talking about um, our experiences from this place of like a positive, positive, like remembering, if that makes sense, (laughs) as opposed to being like, I wish I had this. I wish I had that because that's, that's a much, that's a place that we could go, but I don't think, I don't know if it's necessary. Yeah. Well, and you know, um, the experiences that I went through are like what brought me here. So like, I'm so grateful to all of my teachers and everything, but anyway, yeah. So I, I grew up in Houston, Texas, completely different planet from New York city, but, um, a wonderful community. And I started dancing when I was three, I have an older sister and of course I wanted to do everything that she did. And so, um, she danced at our, our local studio in our neighborhood. And so as soon as I was old enough, I, you know, had to be in the classes. So that's where I started. Um, and those initial teachers, like they really, um, I have nothing but positive memories and, in, in, in like that they just believed in me and like encouraged me to dance and, and, and to, uh, and to grow in that space. I, I also love them because they introduced me to teaching. So when I was little, you know, my favorite, this is a local studio that taught ballet and tap and jazz and even twirling and clogging and acrobatics and things like that. Um, But I was not a huge fan of ballet at the time. And I remember my, the studio owner, um, Miss Lenita or Lenita Shepard, she was like, I'm going to make you my assistant for the ballet classes. And I was like, oh gosh, so excited to be an assistant teacher, but definitely not for what, what are you thinking ballet? No, I don't want to do ballet. Um, but it ended up being like one of the best moments for me because, um, for many reasons, but the two that I'll highlight is just one to, to see her teach that closely and to be a support to her was so, I just learned so much being in the room with her and kind of seeing behind the scenes and her mentoring me in that way of how, how to teach, um, was just such a blessing. And then also, uh, learning more about in this case, ballet. Um, but, I, but I think of it as like something that was a challenge that I wasn't like some a challenge that I wasn't necessarily wanting to go after. It, it taught me how to meet a challenge. It was like this moment where I was like, Hey, I can do this. I can, um, I learned to love it. And, um, and it, it was just such an interesting, an interesting thing because when I went into it, I was just like, not a fan, <laughs> not a fan of the ballet for me, but, um, yeah. So I grew up in this small studio, like I said, and, um, stayed there until I graduated um, high school and a little bit after, and then ended up at the University of Houston, um, studying with um, mentors there like Victoria Lofton, um, Becky Valls, who's actually, she's retiring this week. I got that mm-hmm. information. She's just such a wonderful uh, teacher. Um, Joanna Friesen, all of those ladies I owe so much to, but that was a whole other world as well, because um, it was my first taste of modern dance. I had no idea what modern dance was before I went into that space. Um, but yeah, uh, went to the University of Houston and then danced professionally in some companies there um, in, in Houston and then ended up in Chicago, which is where I met Eduardo at Luna Negra Dance Theater. And then um, later, you know, moved to New York City. But along the way, a lot of great teachers and other person that I'm thinking of when you're talking about positive 
memories is uh, uh, Stephen Boyd, who is has since passed on. But he, you know, it's these teachers. I remember that um, that handful of teachers. You know, that you can say you really felt and you knew that they believed in you, mm. and that always stayed with me. I mean, I had many great teachers along the way, but those ones that where you felt that they truly saw you, they truly saw you and they invested in you. You just never forget that. And I always try to keep that with me when I'm working with my students. Um, I want them to know that I'm invested in them and their success, whatever that, whatever that means to them. Mm-hmm. What, what made you go from Houston to Chicago? <laughs> the real story or the, no, um, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, well, so, <laughs> um, so to be quite honest, I was, um, in a relationship at that time and that's actually what brought me to Chicago, but it, what a mix, what a wonderful blessing that was because when I got to Chicago, I, one of, um, one of my dance colleagues, Mario Zambrano, who's actually now at Juilliard, but he's from Houston as well. And we know each other, childhood dancing, growing up. Um, he mentioned Luna Negra. His partner was setting a choreography on Luna Negra. And it, at the time it was a brand new company and only been around a few years. And he's like, I think you will really love this company. It's a, it's a, it's a new contemporary company um, that is centering the Latinx voice, the, the Latinx, Latinx choreographers. And they're doing some really amazing work you should check it out and so I did and that's how I met Eduardo who's as I mentioned before is the CEO um, and artistic director of Ballet Hispanico and um, yeah it was it was the beginning of a of a great um, relationship and um, and also a self-discovery for myself around my own identity it was the first time that my art of dance that I love so much was um, connected so intentionally to culture my culture you know well latinx the latinx diaspora of cultures but specifically me um understanding more fully and um discovering about my own latinidad or my own um yeah latinidad that's how i'll I will say that <laughs> I could go deeper into that. That's a whole other thing. I, I would actually, I would love for you to go into that if you wouldn't mind, because I've heard this language. I'm, I'm, I'm not a part of Latinidad, um, but I, I am intrigued, interested, wanting to uh, be, you know, in, in solidarity. So I would love to hear about what that means is and and you said you know this idea of these you have an identity as a dancer you have an identity as somebody as someone from the culture and and from latinidad and this was a time when those things were coming together can you explain that a little bit more yeah of course um when i was growing up in texas you know i grew up during a time well, I, let me say this first. My parents grew up during a time of assimilation. And um, my mom is a first-generation immigrant from Mexico. Um, my dad is second generation. And, um, you know, my mom will always share this story with me of how when she was in school, um, 
she loves school. She loves education. She was like a goody two shoes, if you will. Those are her words. <laughs> and um, she always wanted to make good grades. And they literally would be graded on, um, of course, the regular math, uh, English and stuff, but also in citizenship. And a citizenship grade, <laughs> like if something that was a, a, a mark down in your citizenship is if you were caught speaking another language, for example. And so, um, so it, it's like later as an as an adult i know <laughs> i wish y'all could see courtney right now <laughs> her reaction but yeah it's so these things kind of seep into us without us even realizing it right they 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 we're informed by the society around us and what society is accepting of and what society is not accepting of and um and it's passed down it's this interesting thing and so not that i was ever encouraged to not embrace my culture, but I knew um, from a very young age without someone telling me explicitly that somehow culture was, it was a secret or hidden thing that you didn't share with everyone. You only shared with your close family and people that you trusted. And this is stuff that I'm like, you know, still unpacking and uncovering to this day and learning about. But yeah, so when I went to school, you know, I lived in one world with my friends and then at home it was a different world, right? It was a, di it was a different thing. Um, and, you know, it was almost like a kind of like you're, you're kind of embarrassed, if you will. Like I think all teens are embarrassed of their parents, but <laughs> there's a different thing of like, you know, embarrassed of the culture. You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want anyone to know that maybe in your house there might be music with spanish language right or like or something like that so just dealing with things like that i always think about my quinceanera the coming of age party you know for um in our culture and um i was so excited about it oh my gosh i get to have a quinceanera like this is amazing so fun and i was so excited to invite my friends but then i had this pause moment oh wait this means that um these friends are going to be led into this this private world that maybe that I haven't really shared with many people. And so, yeah, it's just like realizing it now later as an adult of what that what that was. So as far as dance goes, <clears throat> the lens that I saw it through, um, you know, was through a white gaze, right? It was through Euro Eurocentric dance. And we were talking about ballet earlier. Um, and I love ballet. But I also remember going to, you know, being on a trip somewhere, for example, in San Antonio and seeing um, on the Riverwalk, beautiful, folk, you know, Mexican folkloric dancing that my mom loved and or she still loves um, and her wanting to sit and watch that with me and me really enjoying that. But not, you know, there's like these again, these two different worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, so when. I got to Luna Negra. It was the first time that because the company centered Latinx voices, similar to like what, oh, well, very similar to what Valley Hispanico does, they also center the Latinx voice, the Latinx contemporary voice. Um, as a dancer, as an artist, I was suddenly dancing to music um, with Spanish language from different, you know, the different um, Latino cultures right so there's many different um cultures there like it's not even it's not one thing and also when we say latinx like that's that 
American experience, right? But then there's also mm. these cultures from the actual, these different countries. Mm -hmm. um, I was suddenly learning about it through the dance, right? Wanting, as an artist, wanting to know more about, um, you know, maybe a particular artist or maybe the, t the subject matter that we were dancing about. And um, it just opened this, like, <laughs> this, this whole new era phase of my life of like, whoa, whoa, this is exciting. Something that I wanted to hide before. Now I'm really like, I just can't, I can't wait to dig deeper into this. And it eventually brought me into um, specifically thinking about my Mexican American identity. And what is that? And going back to that, I, you know, growing up in Texas, what does that mean? And ended up choreographing a piece for Valle Hispanico um, called Con Brazos Abiertos. And I was talking with a friend recently about this because in that piece, it's um, really looking at um, using, using the dance, using these different metaphors in the dance, taking iconic Mexican symbols and storytelling, sharing um, a testimonio, if you will, around um, my experience and my discovering my identity. Uh, or not discovering it, but well, I guess it is discovering it. It's like it's 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 understanding it and and um, and and not being afraid to stand in it and mm -hmm. like being a little bit clearer about what and who I am and who I want to be. Um, so it also I realized when I was having this conversation with my friend recently, it's the first time as a choreographer, I allowed myself to not censor. So like as a choreographer, somehow I thought, um, you know, I had these like, these rules that I had decided that were truths. Like, well, I can't use popular music or I can't use music that is, that even has lyrics. And if I have, if it has lyrics, should I use it with, you know, can it have Spanish, a Spanish, um, language or a voice in there um could i dance with a sobrero on stage could i have julio iglesias music playing in the background like all these things and i'm realizing that that was the first time that i was like i'm i'm not going to um censor i'm not going to say that i can't do something i am going to do what is authentically me mm -hmm. and it was it was a lot of fun like in that particular piece there's music everything in the music from you know, Julio Iglesias, who's Spanish and not even Mexican, but Julio Iglesias, he's singing, he's singing, he's singing a Mexican song um, yeah. to Creep by Radiohead that's being sung by um, another group. Um, and uh, Carla Morrison, who is an amazing uh, Mexican contemporary singer songwriter, um, some rock in Espanol, like I kind of used everything and so it was a lot of fun. And so now as I'm doing these other projects that are coming up, it's like um, being able to stand and to, to continue to be more authentic. I think that's, that's always important, you know, us um, being our true selves, being true to ourselves. That's always what I'm, I'm wanting for my students. And, and I'm still learning about that today. And, and I am not a young person, you know, like decades later. Yeah. Still trying to, um, to stand in that. As you were talking, you were getting more and more animated and that bright eyes that I was talking about earlier, 
I'm starting to see, I've seen that. Um, so many, so many different thoughts came to my head as you were talking about your own experience. And ironically, none of it was mine. <laughs> I was thinking about, I was thinking about code switching for some reason. Uh, well, n- not that none of it was mine, but I was, I was reminded of my best friend growing up whose family was from El Salvador and, um, you know, being, a uh, somebody who was let into that private, the private home and like almost adopted you. Like I was, I was literally always there because it was just like, it was so different. It was so much lo- like, it was just so different from my home life. And I really loved my friend and we just had so much fun playing and hanging out together. So I was just always around to the point where, you know, I, I was picking up phrases and language and I was starting to speak Spanish you know that's that's how much time I was spending there and I and when you were talking about the quinceanera I was like I remember like she was very specific about who she was inviting and I was like why don't you want to invite so-and-so and so-and-so and I didn't know I didn't know and I can't speak on her experience but I just remember I remember having conversations with her about, you know, you seem to put your stuff out there, she would say. And like, you shouldn't do that. And I'd be like, but I'm just living who I am, man. And and she's like, ooh, I don't talk to, I don't tell nobody nothing. You know, and, and, I, and I wonder if, you know, maybe that some of your experience was similar to hers in some ways. I, but I don't know. So that, that was one thought that I had. And then I was thinking about my dad actually who, you know, I, we go back seven, you know, several generations of being here because our family was born on the water. Right. Um, and, and, and yet like my dad who grew up in the South and then found his way to the Chicago and then moved to New York and spoke very, um, almost sounded like an Englishman. Like he would, he just had a very like articulate way of speaking, but I remember there being this moment when we went to visit the his family in the South and his whole demeanor shifted. He, he was saying, you know, he had a vernacular and a dialect that I was like, what's happening right now? And then he would literally like go back and forth. Like sometimes at home, he was like that person. But then when we were out, it was a, it was very sort of buttoned up and proper and anyway so that's I just thought like oh there there is this world where you know you have to assimilate and you get taught that in different ways and everybody's experience can be different and so um not to to you know expound necessarily on your experience and what you just shared which was beautiful uh just letting you know what was going on in my brain (laughs) as you were talking because I was visualizing it I was really visualizing that that quinceanera too (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, um, I appreciate that. And that whole talking about code switching and, um, it's this interesting world. And I talk about this in the, in Comprasos Abiertos, the piece that I had done for Ballet Spinico is like feeling caught between two worlds living in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I feel, and after doing it and talking with different people, you know, it, it shows up in many different cultures and many different people's experiences of that feeling of not being enough of this or not being enough of that, like othered in multiple communities because you're kind of a mix or you're in the middle and it's, it's a real experience. And there's a lot of people out there that, that feel that, but we are constantly forced to kind of, people want us to fit neatly in boxes and, 
I feel like that relates so much to Valley Hispanico in the mission because um, the work that we do allows for these conversations mm-hmm. and, and, and it's been such a, you know, just me as a person, I feel like I've benefited so much from that. But then I know that the students and then, you know, the audiences and everything also benefit um, from talking these things through because it seems so, like, like you were just sharing that, the, the, the story about your friend and um, yeah, we go through these experiences and sometimes we don't, we don't vocalize it or we don't actually talk about it. It's like something that happened and then suddenly we're like, wait, when we hear something or we experience something and it's like, yes, I experienced something similar to that too. And um, so important right now with everything that's going on in the United States um, and just the extreme kind of tribalism that's going on of like how, like us having this conversation, (laughs) you know, it's just one little small thing that's like um, bringing to light or making, creating a platform for people to just talk about who they are. We are so many things, right? And they're all um, beautiful. Um, we all have our own experiences, but there's so much in them that connect us and bring us together. Thank you for listening to episode 52, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Michelle Manzanales, Shattering the Box. Join us next time for act two. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB, and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.